This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Uswe, and joining me today are Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? <laughs> what the fuck was that, Eric? <laughs> I'm just having fun. <laughs> Is that late night pod recording intro right there? <laughs> Gotta keep your energy up somehow. And AC. What's up, guys? So, Eric, I'm assuming you had a great weekend because you came in with that yeah, yeah, yeah energy. <laughs> you know, it's the little things in life. The Lakers beating a super, super bad Knicks team that AC roots for and them <laughs> coming back by by 21 down. Those are the things that sustain me, even if I know this Lakers team all in all isn't going anywhere. Bro. I was on cloud nine in that first half. It was the best first half the Knicks have played the whole season. Dropping over 70 points. Everything was going well. And then we had a 13-point third quarter. I don't even know what (laughs) happened. Like, it's like instantly, Anthony Davis was literally everywhere. And the game just was taken from us. And it still went to overtime, but it never felt like we really had a chance again. It, It was one of the worst losses of the season for the Knicks. Timeout, Eric. You're back on the Lakers now? Momentarily, just last night. It was a it was a bit of a fling. Oh. A one night stand, so to speak. Exactly. Well, I certainly had a great weekend because as you all know, news broke out that the Sixers and the Nets are having dialogue of potentially doing a Harden and Simmons swap before Thursday's trade deadline. And man, I was thinking, oh well, today. Joel Embiid killed it against the Bulls. You know, they called him the Matador, so to say, because he just dropped 40 and 10 like it was nothing on them. So you have that guy and you add James Harden with him. You know, we might have contention in our future yet. I mean, no question, Asui. If that trade comes to fruition, there's so many ripple effects that we could potentially discuss. But we'll just start about the basketball impact of having and Bede play with, maybe for the first time in his career, a true creator that can make life easier for him in a way that he hasn't had so far. And with the way that Embiid is playing, James Harden, even the James Harden that we've seen the last few years, who unfortunately has not been quite the same player as peak MVP Harden of a few years ago, that guy plus Embiid still is a scary proposition for the rest of the East. AC, you said maybe. There's no maybe here. James Harden's creation compared to what Ben Simmons sort of did, really in the regular season only, it's just night and day difference. Although, Sean Marks, I know you are a big fan of our podcast. If you hear this, Ben Simmons is an incredible talent. You should totally get him. It's a 100% fair trade, Harden for Simmons. (laughs) Wait, but honestly, when you say that, I know you say that kind of jokingly, but it, it does make me think that, you know, I get it. There's some fear that Harden will leave. But from the Nets' perspective, just purely from an asset management standpoint, they traded away the farm to get a guy who was a former MVP. And to go from that to even someone like Ben Simmons, who I do think can help them, it is a talent downgrade. There's no question about it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And the fact that for the last month, we've been getting like these little leaks that, oh, Harden's not excited about the strip club scene in New York. And, <laughs> and he wants to go to Philadelphia and see what their scene is about. And he's unhappy with Kyrie because Kyrie doesn't have availability. The fact that those reports keep trickling out, to me, seems to pretty clearly lay the groundwork that if... They allow Harden to stay until the summer. He's going to opt out in free agency and he's going to go elsewhere. He's clearly just unhappy with the arrangement. So when I see a player like that who's unhappy with the arrangement, I try to get as much 
of a recuperation on a dollar as I possibly can. And I don't see a situation where Ben Simmons, if he's anything of what his potential is, and his potential last year was as a defensive player of the year caliber guy, putting him with Kevin Durant and a sometime playing Kyrie Irving, I don't see how this wouldn't be a team that can maximize and allow Ben Simmons to be the best version of himself that he can possibly be. So personally, considering I think that James Harden is hinting that he's ready to dip out, I think this is a fantastic trade for both teams if it actually gets accomplished. Well, you're saying it makes 100% sense, Eric, but there's another angle to this here. And that's that the Nets could have just waited till this summer, competed with Harden this year, and then if he wanted out, they could have done a side-in trade with even someone like the Sixers. And there's a lot of logic to that solution. You can compete now and set yourself up for the future, you know, in case Harden wants a bolt. But there was a whole wrench thrown into this plan, which I do think is what probably both teams were maybe doing behind the scenes. When other teams around the league reportedly threatened to complain to the NBA, saying that this is kind of a, a circumvention of the sign-in trade rules, we saw this in the off-season of 2020 when the Bucks had this agreement in principle to bring in Bogdanovich, but that was before they could talk to someone who was not yet a free agent. And so there's this idea here that the Sixers, they've ever intended to trade Ben Simmons unless they knew that James Harden was agreeing to do some sign and trade with them in the summer. And so because now there's this looming threat of potentially an investigation, in which ultimately the Bucs weren't able to sign Bogdanovich that offseason, maybe there's some incentive to make a move now. I don't know, Asli, what do you think about that? Because you, you are, have more insight into this than either of us. So I think even if there's some type of backroom deal, which I'm not saying there is, it's in the best interest of the Sixers to get a deal done before the trade deadline because in order to facilitate the sign-in trade, a lot of other pieces need to fall in line. Not to mention other teams could have better offers potentially by that point. I mean, on our roster, making sure we have salary and that we match salary if there is any dispute between the two parties, right? And it's a lot harder to say at the end of the season when any of our expiring contracts that we could have added into the deal are no longer on our team. Now we got to dip into the guys that we want to keep long-term. So that's the one thing that you know we're at a disadvantage for. The other thing is, if I'm the Nets, if I put in this much to get Harden, why not just give it a little bit of time and see what these guys can do together? Harden, KD, Kyrie. In the games that they've played, they've been incredible. They could just outscore just about anybody. And they, they were doing like all-time league high in scoring together. So the question is, if you if you already invested so much in this experiment, why not actually see it come to fruition? Now, yes, injuries and Kyrie's, I don't know, I, I can't even say like moral standing, like his his contrarianism, that's gone in the way of things. But if everybody is actually able to play together, you look at the East, who has a legitimate shot at stopping these guys if they're full strength? The Bucks, maybe? Only thing I got to say to you guys, a legend who recently passed away, Kenny Rogers once said, you got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. <laughs> wow. At this point, the Nets need to fold them. Give up. This isn't going to work out. Kyrie Irving, he's never going to be consistently there that you could even build uh, like some type of theme of winning consistently that you know that you're just going to be able to run roughshod through the East when you get to the playoffs. James Harden, for whatever reason, he clearly doesn't want to be there. Kevin Durant, all-world player. He's injured for the next, what, month? So we don't even know if by the time Durant gets back, if they won't be so far out of playoff contention that they can't even get into the playoffs. So recoup as best as possible your loss that you made where you gave up all those, like, assets Jared Allen amongst them, who's an all-star level player this year, 
to get James Harden and get something comparable in an all-star talent in Ben Simmons. And as AC said earlier, it seems that if they wait to the summer, the rest of the league's teams are going to come down on their asses. So might as well facilitate it now as not to like actually get punishment levied on you. Well, I think there's another thing to add in here too, Eric. And I'm going to look at it from the Sixers' perspective. Also, we mentioned that come the summer, other teams can make offers. And we already discussed that maybe the league will look into it if a, if a move happens then. But apart from those two things, there is also a world in which the Nets do well this year. Or whatever concerns Harden has are assuaged. Or he realizes, hey, it's not that bad playing in Brooklyn with other superstars. Right? The grass isn't always greener out there. And he decides, I want to stay. Well, guess what now, Philly? You lost your one chance to turn an incredibly tense situation that we can all agree has gone really poorly with the young superstar that you've invested in. Out of nowhere comes this opportunity to move that player for a legitimate superstar, a former MVP of this league, and you pass on it. Like I, I hear reports that you know, like Matisse Thybul or even Tyrese Maxey is like a sticking point in a negotiation. Are you fucking kidding me? You got to give something to get something. And right now, the Nets are the ones to leverage, in my opinion, because they're the ones that have the better player. They're the ones who have a player that if they keep, they can still at least theoretically win with. So I think if I'm Maury, I give a godfather offer here, an offer they can't refuse. I 100% agree with that. I mean, if if there's any semblance of the Sixers being in some type of power position, as some commentators I've heard speak about this have said, there's no way in hell. The the Nets absolutely are in the power position right now. And if I'm Sean Marks, I'm trying to get everything I can from these guys. Now, if it does come from the Sixers that, you know, I've, I've seen reports that they said that they believe it's a fair trade, Ben Simmons for James Harden. I can't believe that they honestly believe that. It just seems like posturing to me. And I've also heard, like you said, AC, that Matisse or Maxi's off the table. I can understand Maxi to an extent, right? In some ways, he's an insurance policy. If Harden really goes south, Maxi still has some upside. What kind of upside remains to be seen. But what about Matisse? Matisse is essentially like a Ben Simmons type without the height, without the freak athleticism, without the all-world defense. You know, Matisse is no scrub on defense, but he's not... Ben Simmons level of defender and he doesn't even do much on offense compared to what Ben could I mean Matisse is averaging 30% from beyond the arc he went from 35 his first year to 30 last year and 30 this year so he's not really a shooter either and I get that this guy is an incredible defensive talent but he's a specialist and he should get specialist minutes not the kind of minutes that Glenn keeps giving him it's it's just classic Glenn Rivers making stupid ass decisions with your lineup. What what are you trying to get with Matisse at the end of a game if he's on your closing lineup? You're playing four on five on offense. And while that was certainly the case with Ben, at least theoretically, based on his physical attributes, he could be more than that. So I think the Sixers would be idiots not to just do a straight up godfather off here. I totally agree with you, AC. And it's not even a bad trade for the Nets either. In Simmons, you get a guy who prior to this year made three straight all-star teams and it wasn't even a question. It was clear because he was that good defensively and offensively, especially in the regular season, he can really play well. A couple years back, we ran a thing called, I think it was like the United Nations lineup where it was Ben with a bunch of shooters around him from all different countries. And that team won, I think like, more than 10 or 15 straight leading into the playoffs, Ben was on fire because of how much he was able to create for those guys. Now imagine he's on the Nets. Say what you want about how he did against the Hawks. That's the past. But in the Nets, who's going to double Ben Simmons if you have Joe Harris standing in the corner or Kevin Durant? Ben Simmons is going to have a runway lit up straight to the hoop. And if he is an aggressive player, like we've all hoped he could be, He's just getting easy buckets. So he fits perfectly for that team. And defensively, he could be their defensive anchor on a team that is the worst in the league in 
points per 100 possessions by their opponent. You know, also, I, I love that point because even if we think that Harden is the better player, you could really argue that Ben Simmons' skill set is more in need. And also, at the same time, the net surrounding player skills amplify the things that Ben Simmons does well and minimize the things that he does poorly, particularly on offense. And I also want to turn to another angle when it comes to that, which is that we we focus a little bit on Simmons in this discussion, but we should also talk about James Harden. I'm not sure that the Nets maximize what he does. Granted, there's tons of spacing around him, right? But listen, James Harden is one of the great scorers of the last several decades by any measure. He's playing with certainly the best scorer since Michael Jordan, in my opinion. And that means that by default, he's option number two. And I think that he's kind of played this pseudo point guard role pretty well since he's come to the Nets. He's he's almost reinvented himself. But he's also capable of more than that. I wonder, on a team where he is the primary creator, at least primary wing creator, and I get that Embiid is having an MVP caliber season. Right now, in my opinion, he's the MVP favorite. In fact, he is the Vegas odds favorite for that award. There's something to be said for a wing scorer without anybody else around him who can do what he can do. And so he may also just be better on the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, man. Even Shaq needed his Kobe. At the end of the day, despite, and I've said this many times, despite how wide open Embiid's game is, I would still prefer us closing with a guard. And the threat of James Harden doing something will only open up space for Embiid and vice versa. Imagine a pick and roll, Embiid and Harden. How, how do you even guard that? It's a match made in heaven. Now, there are some concerns, particularly in defense, especially if we run a lineup with Harden and Curry at the 1-2. But that's a problem for down the road. That's a problem for potentially other trade deadline moves. And then it's also another move for the buyout. Uh, these are problems that you fix afterward, right? If your ship is sinking, you don't care about the little holes that might be in the sails. You're worried about the gaping hole in the hull to prevent water from coming in. That's what Harden is. He fills that gaping hole. And we can fix the sails later. There's many avenues to do that. So I think you make the Godfather offer. Hopefully you don't give up too much depth. And hopefully... We'll be talking about my guys as champions this year. Who knows? Oswe, first off, you made a fantastic comparison by calling Matisse Tybo essentially a hobo version of Ben Simmons, (laughs) which I thought was great. And I wouldn't even have (laughs) thought of the comparison. And then I just realized they both grew up in Australia. So apparently they're just not teaching Australian kids how to shoot much. Well, no, no. Matisse was born there. He grew up mostly here. But he he spent seven years of his childhood in Sydney. So I'm blaming them for his lack of shooting ability. Okay, sure. Tell that to Joe Ingles. (laughs) But but another thing I wanted to add, I'm just going to skip over that because it immediately invalidates my theory. (laughs) But the other thing I wanted to add, though I think James Harden will be a fantastic fit with Joel Embiid in theory. Okay. I do want to throw a little water on the the smoldering flames of your optimism about James Harden playing with Joel. James Harden, to me, doesn't quite look as if he's the same player. He looks to me as if he's lost a step. He's a little chunky. He doesn't convert at the rim quite the way he used to convert. He still gets free throws, which I was actually surprised. Somehow he got his free throws back to eight a game. But as far as efficiency, as far as field goal efficiency, three-point shooting, he's lower than his career averages. So I'm, I'm wondering if by getting James and potentially re-upping his contract and signing him to multiple years, could this be a little bit of fool's gold where we're ignoring the historical signs of a big wing on his decline? Well, 
on the matter of him losing a step, that's great because now he won't travel when he does his step back three. So I'm good with that. Poor James Harden, even as he potentially joins Aswee's team, Aswee just can't help with his Harden slander. That's the yeah. that's the Sixers fan in him. They can't help it. This is how they are. That that was an alley oop for me. So thank you very much. But I wonder if part of the shooting stats is also because he's just unhappy. If you're unhappy off the court, chances are you'll be unhappy on the court. And the last thing I'll say is, I hear you about the problem with signing a guy like James Harden to a long-term deal at this point. But at the same time, if not now, then when? This is Embiid's window now. You have to make the proper investments for now. What good is a future pick? What good is a young player who could develop? We have a guy now. We have a MVP caliber guy now. So you give him whatever he needs to be a finals MVP guy. You heard first here, Daryl Morey. Oswee the Sixers fan is calling for you to make a move. Trust in Morey. We've talked enough about a theoretical trade, which Oswee is wishing to happen. He's going to wish so hard that... He's going to wish it into existence, but... He's going to wish CJ McCollum into existence. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. CJ, who, by the way, is on the market, but you know, I'm glad you mentioned CJ because there is actually a real trade that happened in the NBA. Yes, real trades happen too, even though we spent all this time discussing only a potential one. And that's this somewhat bizarre trade between the Clippers and the Blazers. Also, you want to give us some particulars on that? So, guys, for this trade... The Clippers gave away Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson, as well as a 2025 second-round pick via Detroit for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Before we say anything else, I just want to say Jerry West does what Jerry West does. Is, is it even Jerry West officially, or is it Lawrence Frank? I don't, I'm never sure what the power structure is there. I know Lawrence Frank did the press conference and everything, but if you ask the Lakers, know. they'll say Jerry West didn't do shit and let's yeah. ban him. Yeah. I mean, my, my first thought on this trade is this is a fucking heist. I mean, to me, they gave up nothing of value. I look at Eric Bledsoe as at best neutral, but probably negative value. And then Justice Winslow has, has basically been a bust. I mean, they didn't really give any future assets. I mean, frankly, they don't really have any future assets. They don't have any first for the longest time. And they got out of this two rotation players who could start for nearly every NBA team. Norman Powell, who makes a lot of money. That's his big downside, but he has talent. That's why he got paid. And Robert Covington, who's maybe a little overrated, but the things he does well, he can do really well. My other thought is, guys, Steve Ballmer shows once again that he's willing to pay into the tax. This is already a tax-paying team, and they're taking on a lot of money in a year in which it seems exceedingly unlikely that we'll see even one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, much less both of them. So he's paying all this money for a team just to make them improve in the future. The same way that we saw the Warriors do the last few years that ended up with them in this situation because they kept paying for D'Angelo Russell, then paying for Wiggins and paying for all these moves so that one day eventually they could be competitive. And when that's happening, you have other teams like the Lakers, for instance, who did, want, did not want to pay Alex Caruso and they let him go. And this is when, when you are against the tax and you are facing all the various penalties that come with that, you have to be willing to spend on the margins, even though that means often that you're going to be paying extraordinary luxury tax payments that are like four or five times the salary that you're actually spending you know, beyond that cap amount. And if you don't do that, you lose the avenues in which to improve. Here, the Clippers seized on the opportunity they had. And you got to, you know, commend Bomber and their team for doing that. So I don't know if I'm reading into the tea leaves too much here, but is this a move for next year? Or could we potentially, like, is this telegraphing that PG and Kawhi might actually be back for the playoffs? And this is just kind of a run for that? Nah, this for next year, doggy. It's definitely for next year. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, look. Next year, these guys really project to be, in my opinion, the favorites in the West because of the fact that they have these two top-level talent. They have one of the best coaches in the West, and they have depth. They have talented depth that fits really well. I mean, look at what the Clippers are doing without their two guys. 
imagine what they do with them, and especially with the addition of Norman Powell. Though I will say Robert Covington, he his reputation precedes him. He, he's a guy who's who's certainly not a bad player, but I can't remember a single crucial three that he made in the playoffs. So I guess they're not banking on him being their like primary shot creator the way that the Sixers did. So at least like if he's a rotation guy, he can get in some good minutes, be a good rotational like specialist because he's a great team defender, but he is a bit overrated. So I have a couple of things to say. First off, I think Covington has been so overrated for years that he's become a tad underrated. So Oswe, you're right. He doesn't have any like Hmm. important shots to his resume, but he still is capable of doing things that is a premium skill set for wing players in the NBA. Sure, as Other, a specialist. Yeah, absolutely. But, but not not but not like the kind of minutes that he's been getting on say the Blazers or the Sixers. I don't think the Clippers need him in more than just like coming in for a couple minutes at a time, special cases. If they use him anything more than that, that's just then he's not going to do that. Yeah, me. yeah, facts, but again, this is a move for next season. And next season if you have Paul and Kawhi, of course, he's not going to be playing heavy minutes. So he can be a specialist. The other thing that I immediately thought from this trade is, Jesus Christ, does no one want Justice Winslow? Is he just like <laughs> now the proverbial NBA orphan? It's Never- crazy. Eric, you remember what the Celtics once wanted to trade for him? Yeah, absolutely. Danny Ainge... And the pre-draft evaluation, the year that Justice Winslow came out, I think that would have been 2015. Apparently, he was debating with his war staff, giving up all of these pieces for Justice Winslow because they just viewed his ceiling as being so high that he was almost this Ron Artest-esque, big-bodied wing defender who was going to become some type of transcendent wing defender. But he never actually became that. And then if you combine that with the fact that he has little to no offensive ability, he's basically like Stanley Johnson, which I'm not sure if Stanley Johnson isn't a little better than him at this point. So Stanley Johnson was just in the G League recently. But it was very, very telling to me that this guy who was so highly touted now doesn't really have teams who are very pressed about like enlisting him into their services. So it's just like a reality check of how hard it is to succeed in the NBA. I just don't get this trade for the Blazers at all. I mean, they're trying to sell it to Dame that this is a team worth staying. They they tell him we're going to build a team for you so that he sticks around, but they're not exactly doing that. They trade away pieces and they're, getting Eric Bledsoe and Winslow and Johnson, they can't even get a first round pick out of this. They get a second round pick in a market of buyers. Yeah. To me, this is purely a a cap clearing move for them to try to pursue a max free agent this summer. I I think this is a sign that they hope to keep Damian Lillard, if anything, because if they were just trying to rebuild, then I think they would have traded to try to get something young. The, The Bledsoe piece of this, there's already reports out that Bledsoe, is expected, like he isn't playing a game until the trade deadline. They're expected to try to move him for something else as well. So they don't have any plan of keeping Eric Bledsoe. I mean, I mean, you can't even play with Jamie Lillard, so it makes no sense to keep Eric Bledsoe on your roster. But I do agree with your overall sentiment, Oswe. I, th- I thought that this is one of the most one-sided trades I've seen in a long time. Even if your goal was to clear cap space for a max free agent, who, by the way, you may never get, because when's the last time a credible max free agent signed with portland you know it's it's been a minute and even if that's the case there has to be a better way to do this when you're giving up a young talented player in norm powell and a very desirable at least for all his flaws you know there aren't that many three and d guys in the nba and especially ones who can play some small ball five or at least power forward so Robert Covington has that skill set. Now, I don't think he's actually a good man-to-man defender. He's much better team defender. And his three-point shot, as we said, is very shaky and seems to 
waned when it really matters. But he still fits the mold of that player you really want. So if you have two assets like this, you really couldn't give back a single blue chip asset for that? Like That's crazy to me. So to me, this is a really bad job by the Portland's front office. Guys, <laughs> have you ever checked the demographics of Portland? Or have you ever been to Portland? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I have not, not had that honor yet, unfortunately. Though I heard it's Let's, a fun city. It's a fun city, but there's a reason why a league with 70% black players, you don't really find like marquee free agents beating down a door to go to such a fun city as Portland. It's like 5% black people. Just a thought. No, that makes sense. But it, it, it just reminds me of the Gary Trent deal also. Because right now, Gary Trent is playing really good basketball. And, you know, even though he was traded for Norman Powell, watch, he's going to go on the Clippers and he's going to play really good basketball. So it makes you wonder. There was no way they could either, if not make things work in Portland, at least gotten better value out of those guys. That's what gets me with this. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Oswee. I mean, to me, the Clippers have set themselves up to now really be competitors going forward. And Portland, I guess it's TBD only in the sense that there's some world in which they do get this max free agent. And when that actually happens, then whatever, we kind of forget these things. But there are many examples of teams clearing the deck and not getting those players. I'll give you a really recent example of this, which was when the Lakers under Magic Johnson cleared out space for two max free agents and they only got LeBron to come. And in doing so, they gave up a host of young players who are talented from Larry Nance to, to Julius Randle to D'Angelo Russell and this sort of multi-step plan they had to just clear space, which they never filled. And by the way, once they did fill that via trade, they now didn't have those assets. So there's different ways you can clear space. In my opinion, you can always clear space. If, if your goal was just to clear space, you could always do that in the NBA. You could always find someone like look what Pat Riley did when he would have got the big three. You can always find someone to take a bad contract on here or there to make things work. But if you just give away assets just to create space, you better fill it with something. So I, I don't know. I, I look at this as, as, as a poor job by Portland overall. I want to give Oswee props again because he brought up Gary Trent Jr. And I think the fact that they just traded Norman Powell a year after getting him and shipping Gary Trent Jr. out. A guy who's only 22, let's add, averaging almost 20 a game, averaging 18 a game, who has considerable upside. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-NBA caliber guy, but he's a guy that can get you a bucket. And the fact that they're already trading Norman Powell just looks horrible. Funny story about... Gary Trent Jr., Eric, that's relevant to one of your many flirtations around the NBA. Jake Fisher, who broke a lot of stories this summer about offseason moves, reported that the Lakers have their eyes on Gary Trent Jr. and they're willing to trade basically everyone to try to get him. Everyone, obviously, besides their two big guns. I don't think it's actually going to happen because I don't know who they have that the Raptors would possibly want, but I just thought it's funny that a guy who would obviously help them is... Some of the Lakers want, well, too bad because they don't have any assets. So once again, it's a, a lesson that, hey, well, number one, when you're a team that's facing the tax, you got to pay money to keep assets, right? And two, you can't just give up fucking assets for nothing or it comes back to hurt you one day. As they say, AC, scared money don't make money. Exactly. Yep. And what are you going to offer? You're going to offer THT for Gary Trent Jr.? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. THG and DeAndre. <laughs> you throw in a couple other washed up vets too. Throw, throw oh, you want, you, want, at it. you want Trevor Ariza? You want Trevor? <laughs> That's icing on a cake. You can have them. <laughs> the funniest thing is, Eric, the report was like, they might be willing to part with some of their big men. And they mentioned specifically DeAndre and Dwight. Like, the Lakers would give them away in a heartbeat. If they get yeah, I mean, the, the, the Lakers, if they could, they would give them away. And give you money as compensation to take them. So this isn't something that you need to be patting the Lakers on the back as if, oh, reluctantly, we might give DeAndre Jordan the worst player in the NBA away. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's got several people on his own team in the running for worst player in the NBA. So <laughs> and there's, there's really a lot of guys you can make case for. 
on that's, the Lakers. That's true. And I'm still thoroughly convinced DeAndre Jordan has some type of collage of NBA players and front office people in compromising positions because I will never understand for the last five <laughs> years what these teams thing is getting DeAndre under these contracts. We just talked about a pretty one-sided trade and also one team that really isn't doing a proper job at clearing space to get talent. Well, today, the Cavs and Pacers had a trade of their own. The Cavaliers received Karis LeVert and a 2022 second-round pick via Miami, and they had to give up Ricky Rubio, a 2022 first-round pick lottery-protected via Cleveland, obviously, 2022 second-round pick via Houston, and a 2027 second-round pick via Utah. Now, this is an example of a deal that truly is mutually beneficial to both teams. With Karis LeVert, the Cavs get a good offensive player who can create his own shot and run the second unit well. And the Pacers are basically doing a teardown the right way. They are clearing out the books. They're getting a guy in Ricky Rubio who is on an expiring contract and has a torn ACL. It's not like he's going to play anyway. And that's what you do if you want to rebuild your team right. How about my calves, guys? <laughs> yeah, I know you'd be hyped about this. I am. Karis LeVert, he's a bucket. He can get you points. I like what Oswe said on the second unit. He can take over in a facilitator role and like run the second team offense incredibly well. He's a legitimate scorer. Like this Cavs team, already a fun, phenomenal team. They just keep getting better. I'm so excited about this. When I look at the Cavs, I see a team that has an incredible front court with Mobley, Allen, as Eric said before, probably should have been an all-star this year. And on top of that, Kevin Love, who's having kind of a resurgent season and is willing to play off the bench at times and, and in various roles. And then they got this incredible season out of Darius Garland, who was named an all-star, and I, I think deservedly so, where they have a major weakness up till this point is on the wings. I don't think they have wing depth. I don't think they have enough quality wings to really make a run. And I, I'm not entirely sure that Karis LeVert is that guy. And the Karis LeVert is a particular kind of player. He's a, a player who, you know, defensively he could be here or there. And he's really a slasher at, at, at heart. Um, so how does that translate to playoff basketball remains to be seen. But he is a person who can credibly score the basketball. And you can give him the ball for stretches and he can run pick and rolls. He can run an offense. And I love the dynamic that he potentially brings. Maybe off the bench, maybe at times as a spot starter. We'll see how they use him, but he could maybe be the guy who can bridge those lineups, especially when Garland is not on the court. So it's an amazing find for them. When your wings are Chetty Osman and Isaac Okoro, this Karis Levert trade has to be an upgrade. Yep. So they had they had nowhere to go but up with this trade. And I'm not even shitting on Isaac Okoro, who I think has a a lot of defensive potential. And Chetty Osman has been on the Cavs for years at this point, and he's a do-everything role player. So he's good. He's decent in the role that he does, but Karis LeVert is definitely an upgrade from what they have, definitely considering they needed a, a, a secondary score on the wings, considering Colin Sexton as a combo guard kind of fulfilled that but you know he's been out so i i think all in all it's a good trade for him so you mentioned osman and okoro i i think karis lavert what he brings to the team is more valuable than either chetty osman is kind of a jack of all trades master of none and i can't even say he's even particularly almost great he's probably good at best he hasn't really panned out the way that the Cavs would have hoped he would have been I know when he was younger and LeBron was there, there, there was a lot of hope for Chetty Osman, right? But he's never pounded out that way. And Isaac Okoro, you're right. Defensively, he's great. But offensively, he's pretty limited. Now, Karis LeVert, on the other hand, is limited defensively. But on a second unit, you want a guy like 
Karis LeVert to just give you buckets. And any qualms that you might have because of his limited defensive ability is kind of made better by the fact that his front court has the likes of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So I think overall it's a net positive in that sense. And I don't think that Levert taking the minutes of either of those guys is going to particularly hurt them. Whereas, I mean, yeah, like even Okoro, like you can put him with Levert in theory to kind of make up the defensive deficiency. But I, th- I think it kind of puts Osman out of the, the lineup altogether. I-, I want to turn to the Pacers for a second, guys. So this is a team that I think maybe had some expectations of at least being sort of a play-in team. It's been a very disappointing season for them for a number of reasons. I do think that basically any player in the roster can be had. We've heard that for the right offer, someone like Turner, someone like Sabonis even, is actually gettable for teams around the NBA. I like this move for Indiana because... They're not chasing a short-term fix. It seems like they're maybe finally committed to a true rebuild because they, they, I'm sure they could have gotten some players who could help them in the short term here, but instead they they went for the, the first-round pick and the two second-round picks. I think that's a decent return for Karis LeVert, who never really panned out there, who has pretty bad injury history. So I, I think they got what they wanted from this. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's 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 fantastic. I mean, they've gotten picks, they got expiring contracts, they've cleared out other contracts. It does make me wonder though if by the trade deadline we might see Sabonis moved somewhere. And I'm really curious where that might be. I can see a lot of teams wanting him. I mean, Eric, would one of your many teams want a Sabonis? <laughs> Don't do that to me like that. Not don't lead with one of your mini teams. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's so shady. One of your mini teams. Can one of them get him? Look, is all I know, guys. I want the Pacers to come up off of Sabonis, Turner, and Malcolm Brogdon. I need those three guys to be open to go to teams because. All three of those guys would be great additions to some team that's actually competing this year for the championship. So well, I'm looking forward to it. It's clear that they're trying to just clear their, you know, their cap space. So let them go. Eric, it's not a matter of if, it's more of a matter of when. There, there's no reason to hold on to those guys. These guys are assets, legitimate assets that they could rebuild with, get some good picks and hopefully some expiring contracts. And look, whether it's the trade deadline or this offseason, these guys are going to be on contenders, and the league's going to look very different. I don't know if you all have noticed. I have a a thing for Malcolm Brogdon. I've put him out front in certain trades, particularly at a point, Oswe, I thought that Daryl Morey, who's looking much more intelligent by not listening to me because it seems he might be able to get hardened. But I was saying that Maury should have taken the potential Malcolm Brogdon trade back last summer. I don't know if you all remember that. Do you remember what I said to you when you said that? Oh yeah. You said I was full of shit and, and it, yes. would, it would literally be like highway robbery. So I think you were right. And I think Maury was right. How it's shaping up right now. But I am high on Brockton because I think there are things that he can do for a team. He's fairly efficient. His three-point shooting is down this year, but he's a serviceable floor spacer. He he can run an offense. His defense isn't terrible. I would love to see him to go to a team to stabilize their point guard position. So I'm really happy that there seems to be a, a fire sale going on in Indiana. On a personal note, I have never been a fan of Malcolm Brogdon because I did not believe he deserved his Rookie of the Year award because Joel Embiid was a rookie in that year, 2017. He was in the running because it was his third year, but his first year playing. And he was not given it because he didn't have enough games played. So I'm very biased against Malcolm Brogdon, though I do recognize he is a good talent. When I think about Malcolm Brogdon, Eric, Players can be judged in a lot of different ways, right? They could be great regular season players. They could be great playoff players. But one of the great measures is ask yourself when you see an NBA player and you actually watch them, 
Can you see this player playing in an NBA Finals? What at the absolute highest level when you're playing against teams that you know have great schemes, great coaching that demand more of you, that may put you in a different role, but that may take away something that you're not good at. I think Brogdon, if you put him on a team where he has an elite wing beside him, he could really excel. What he is not is the guy himself who could take a team that far. But his game translates so well to something like that. Like he is in some ways kind of like a poor man's Drew Holiday. Not nearly that good defensively, or maybe not even that good offensively, but he's got the ability to play on or off the ball, defensively and offensively. So I do think that he could have a good fit somewhere, potentially. About the other two guys, in Sabonis and Turner, you know, also we asked, is there some opportunity to get one of those? I think it's much more likely that one of them would be traded. And one of the things that's fascinated me over the last several years is this idea in a league that has more and more and more gone to small ball, that the Indiana Pacers have had these two big men, both of whom are best at center, both of whom who have polar opposite games, but for whatever reason, they just are dog-headed with this, and they've just decided they're going to keep both of them on this team. And I, it's it's driven me crazy, because I think anyone who watches them could think to themselves, man, what would one of these guys look like without the other? This is the exact sort of situation where two players don't really complement each other, because Sabonis is not really a stretch four or stretch five. He's really a post player. And Turner is a stretch five, but, you know, he's... His shot kind of comes and goes. I do think he's a legitimate rim protector. Like, they can play together from, a, from like, a on-the-floor geometry standpoint, but they're not optimized that way. And it seems to me it was so obvious that one of the two of them should be traded. What I'm curious is, who does the NBA as a whole value more? The defensive guy who can hit some threes or the offensive post guy who can run offense through? And I think there's an argument for both kind of guys. So I'm curious who gets better offers and what they're ultimately traded for. Is it a fair comparison to say it's like a poor man's Jokic and a poor man's Embiid? Though Embiid is much more than a defensive three shooting big. I think Sabotis is a poor man's Jokic. I think Eric was the first one I heard made that comparison. I I like that. I don't think that... Maybe... I, I don't know, like Miles Turner is really a stretch five and there aren't too many of them in the NBA. And, you know, but but Embiid is so much more than a stretch five. So I don't, sure. I don't like that comparison. Yeah, I mean, poor man. is. A... But but he but like t- Turner is, is a stretch five who can protect the rim. That's what distinguishes him from like the guys who just stand out there at three point. Like, like, say, like if you put like Kevin Love in the center, right? He could theoretically hit threes, but he can't protect the rim. But this guy can really actually do both. What you know, he doesn't really have any kind of refined post game or ability to punch the switch or other things like that. So I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe like a Porzingis type comes to mind a little bit. Now, Oswe, if you had said something stronger, like he's a derelicts Joel Embiid, I might play with the, <laughs> <laughs> with the analogy. But a hobo just saying, Joel Embiid? Yeah, yeah a, a, a hobo Joel Embiid. But I, I think uh, poor man... That's really disrespecting Joel. And Joel is having one of the most incredible seasons in recent memory right now. So I don't want to take a guy who can literally score everywhere on the court as a five who also has world-class defense. I don't want to compare him to Miles Turner. I will say to answer AC's question, AC, I suspect, Miles Turner will be the player that teams will put a premium on over uh, Sabonis just because he theoretically stretches the floor, even though I agree with you. I think his shot is come and go, but he protects the rim, which is also a premium skill set, and he spaces the floor. So you have a rim protector slash floor spacer, and I don't see a situation where that guy isn't valued a little more than. I guess, a run-of-the-mill orthodox post player, even though that post player is also one of the most incredible passing big men in the league. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Eric. Just like going through the teams one by one who'd want either of these guys, I do think Sabonis can be a winning player, but it has to be on a team that almost has a system on it, right? Like, like if he found himself somehow on Golden State. And by the way, Golden State is a team to watch for all the things that are going to happen this week. They have tons of assets, and they can afford to use some of them. If he's on a team like that that runs a real system, 
his passing becomes accelerated and his value kind of skyrockets, right? But most teams don't run that kind of stuff. And most teams need their center to be legitimate rim protectors. And on the other end, they just want them to stand on the three-point line. Like, they don't need to run everything through a big man. And so I think that even though Sabonis is probably the better basketball player, Turner is probably a little more useful to the average NBA team. It's funny you mentioned Golden State AC because since last year, Golden State has been the team most connected to trade rumors about Miles Turner. Yeah, I mean, they're the most connected team to basically everyone. So basically every trade rumor in the NBA works like this. The first thing you hear is the Lakers. And it's not even necessarily the Lakers are interested. It's because when you put Lakers in a story, it sells, right? The second trade rumor you hear is Golden State. And that's the double thing because it sells. And on top of that, they also have a million assets, right? So it makes sense. I, I mean, I can see Turner or Sabota's helping them. Getting a player like that on, on, for Golden State, and anyone they get with everything they have there is going to be pretty much good for them. They're yeah. the rare team that basically any talent upgrade at any position helps them. So, Especially with Golden State, it's still up in the air what's going on with James Wiseman, right? So in a sense, Miles Turner is kind of like an insurance policy on that. And as we've discussed so many times, ad nauseum even, on this pod, a big who can't defend is always less valuable than a big who can. Uh, that's really well said, Oswee. And I think we have a lot to look forward to then with, with these teams and how they shake out. Well, I think that's a perfect place to stop for today. You know, guys, hopefully on Thursday night when we do an emergency pod, it's going to be about how James Harden was traded to the Philadelphia 76ers in the 11th hour. And then I can talk about how we are guaranteed Joel Embiid Finals MVP. With that, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time. We certainly did. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmanwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmanwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one, and stay safe, guys. CJ McCollum! Joel Embiid MVP with Harden.